This is the Your Dream or Mind podcast, the place to be if you want to be inspired, encouraged, uplifted, and captivated by the stories of others who have been brave enough to vocalize their dreams and then do the work to achieve them. I'm your host, Laura Cruz, a coach and fellow dreamer who has made her dreams come true and can help you to do the same. Listen each week as I share with you tales of dreams achieved both by my guests and me. Oh, and don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Search for Laura Cruz Coaching. Enjoy the episode. Super happy to welcome a fellow coach and a business friend of mine today, Meredith Richardson, who um, I met actually in a group coaching program a couple of years ago, and uh, we just connected. I think we've got quite similar similar kind of values and outlook and uh, geography hasn't held us back because she's in the States and I'm in the UK. So again, it's somebody I've met, but not face to face. That's not to say we won't meet in the future. Um, but um, Meredith runs a brilliant group on Facebook called Midlife where the Queen saves herself. And the description of that group is it's for women over 35 who are done with rescuing others. Sounds brilliant, Meredith. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Laura. I really appreciate it. And it is wonderful to be here with you. Thank you. So tell us a bit about you then, Meredith. What does it look like in terms of... Who are you and uh, my, what, what do you do, do with yourself? Or what does it look like in terms ah. of what they want? Or so what? at this point in life, if I am you, so an empowerment coach living their for best women life. in midlife. And how would, how would that come about? Their best lives. Uh, honestly, so it differs greatly from woman to woman, right? The women that I work with. So I have one woman I like to talk about. She came to me and she just, she couldn't get out of her own way in terms of doing chores on the weekend. She really was just kind of making herself miserable on the weekend. She would spend all weekend avoiding doing the chores and beating herself up for it and the rest of it. And she had this voice that said that um, she just couldn't get things done. And she um, also, she was an attorney. She did great in her job during the week, right? So it wasn't that she couldn't get things done. There was something that was happening specifically with those chores that was the problem. And so I said, all right, I want you to actually not do the chores. Like, right. what are you talking about? I said, Look, you are resisting for a reason. So I want you to give yourself permission to not do the chores. And instead, I want you to do something nice for yourself every single day. <laughs> and she's like, why? Like, how am I going to do that? How do I even know? Because I actually made her do, I think, two or three th- nice things for herself a day. So I don't even know if I have those. I said, you do, because we had already talked earlier and she had given me a list of things. So it's like, I already know you have at least three. I have not asked you to do more than you've already told me you're capable of doing because you've told me the things that you would like. So I already know that they're there and they're possible to fit into your day. So right. I want you to fit those into your day. Also, I talked with her about um, willpower and willpower is limited. So we like to think of just, well, I should be able to do this because I want to, but willpower is limited in both in terms of how much we get in a day and in terms of how much we get in a week, right? How much we get in a month. So when we burn ourselves out, we can't do those things. So if you've spent all of your week doing things at work, getting yourself to do them over and over and you get to the weekend and you can't do the chores, well, you've used up your willpower during the week, right? Also, so interesting. Yeah. So you have Never to thought of it like that. You have to give yourself some time off so that you can replenish that willpower. And you also have to look at it as because willpower is finite like that. If you start with the biggest task, you may never do it because that's the hardest one. So different people have different ways of handling um, stressful tasks, right? Some people Mm. are the ones who they want to jump fully in the water, right? So they take the biggest task and they do that and that energizes them and they get more done. I am not that kind of person that overwhelms me. So I need to take smaller tasks and build up to the big task, or I need to break the big task down into smaller tasks. 
So I give myself the easy wins. So for example, if I'm doing chores, I clean the bathroom last because I don't like cleaning the bathroom. That takes the most willpower. I'm not going to want to do the rest of the things around the house after cleaning the bathroom. That one needs to be just a like one and done and I can go do something I like. So she had been trying to get herself to do like all the chores at once and, you know, the hardest things first. So I said, you do little increments, do five minutes of it, do 25 minutes of it, do something Mm -hmm. small, give yourself a break and then do more. So after that, chores weren't a problem. At least she could get those chores done no problem after that session because now she was using the willpower strategically to get it done. She had also talked about wanting to, um, she was thinking maybe she wanted to uh, move, but she wasn't quite sure, da, da, da. By the time we talked the next time, she was contacting the realtor. She was thinking about what she was going to do for home improvements in order to make her house sell for more. She knew the place that she wanted to move to. I mean, she really had shifted with just little tweaks. So when I'm saying empowerment, it's things like that, knowing how to strategically change your world in small ways, you can change your world in big ways. Love that. And that's so interesting for me. I do the bathrooms first because they annoy me. I just want them out of the way. It's so fascinating (laughs) how different people's brains work. And I'm the kind of person that goes, I don't want to stop. I just want to get it all done. So then I don't have to, but I wouldn't clean the whole house in one go. It would be the bathrooms in one go, but I just want it done so that then I could relax. I don't want to come back to it again later. Fascinating stuff. So Meredith, how did you get into this then? How, you know, where did you get to in your life where you, you are this, um, I guess you're in this kind of dream role where you get to help women kind of empower themselves. How did you, how did you come into that? I used to be a mediator and conflict coach. So I used to do a lot of work with people who were struggling at the worst time in their life. I did a lot of divorce mediation um, and some small claims mediation as well. And so I found I was really good at helping people to change, right? That there, this is a really difficult time. It's a really difficult time to see that you're going to have a good future going forward. It can be a time that you really get caught up in the stress of the moment. And I was really good at helping people to see their strengths and empower them to move forward and, um, and come to an agreement that was good enough. And also then to feel okay about their future going forward. So What happened for me was I had two people try to kidnap me in 2015. And after that happened, I actually still stayed as a mediator. After that happened, I just wanted my life back and I did what I could do to make that happen. So I was back mediating within like 10 days after the attack because I just wanted my life to be unchanged. I didn't want that person that attacked me to have the power over me to change my life. And um, so I did, I mediated, but I did have to face off against um, my attacker at his criminal trial in 2018. And after that, after facing off against him at his criminal trial, I just could not be in the middle of people's conflict anymore. It was too stressful for me. It was Before that, I guess I would say after the attack, what happened was that it was still, it was really stressful for my body to be in the middle of people's conflict, but my brain really still wanted to do it. And so it just shut off contact and wouldn't let my body communicate how stressful it was for it. Right. And after um, facing off against this guy at his criminal trial in 2018, my brain then agreed with my body that this was a stupid thing to do and it didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) So there was not one cell in my body that wanted to be in the middle of people's conflict anymore, but I didn't know then what to do with myself. So 
I um, left, I went to Norway and I went there specifically to think about, well, now what am I going to do? What, what Mm. can I do for myself? What can I do with the strengths that I have to go forward and create a good life for myself? And over time, empowerment coach was what came up. But first I tried to um, first, I was going to be a writer because I thought I'm just going to hide out and write books. That sounds lovely, right? After Amazing, um, yeah. this kind of thing happening. And I tried that and that didn't work. Um, and I took a class online on creating classes online. And so I reached out to my Facebook community and said, okay, so if you wanted, if you were going to learn something from me, what would you want to learn? And I figured it was going to be something about relationships because I had been a mediator. And instead what they said was, we want to know how to do what you do. (laughs) So I went, oh, okay then. Um, But I'm not sure about that, but let me think about that. And so they really were the impetus for me becoming a women's empowerment coach. Amazing. Uh, it's really, it's really interesting, and I, obviously, I knew that I knew what happened in terms of like the headline of the story. But I think that's really fascinating that actually you were able to go back to mediation initially, but then maybe something about the trial, I don't know, brought up something which then said, and your body was like, no, and then you decided to kind of make that break and. And we talked before we started recording about how Norway was that kind of safe place that you wanted to go somewhere where you could kind of reclaim you and feel safe. Right. Yeah. So a lot of that, there's a lot of questions basically for me and what you just said. So I'm going to try to answer some of that. So um, when I, after the attack, I simply wanted to get back to me. And at that point I was married and my, uh, my then husband, he was really good for the first year after the attack. And it made us stronger initially in terms of our marriage. Um, but I think that both of us had a false sense that I was going to be able to just get back to me. And I did not just get back to me. Um, I got to a different version of me, but I didn't just get back to all of me from before that trauma. And um, so he became angry about the fact that I wasn't the old me, that there were pieces that just weren't going to come back. And he wasn't, I mean, we've talked about it. He wasn't angry at me. He was angry at the person who attacked me, but it wasn't because that person wasn't available to be angry at, right? There's, he would be angry because I was not. And he's just that kind of a person too, who's more likely to see what he does not have than he is to see what he does have. And I was always, I've always been a grateful person. So I always see what I have. Um, so I, so for the last year of our marriage, it was, it was not a good marriage. And, um, I did what I could to try to, um, try to fix it, to get him to go to counseling. The counseling didn't go well. So for the, for the six months leading up to the, um, the criminal trial, I thought that, okay, I'm going to be leaving this marriage in addition to um, leaving the state. I had never been able to get myself to go back to feeling fully safe in the state that I, that I lived in. I thought what I would do is I would live somewhere else in the U.S. because um, at that point we had a dog. And so I had sort of this vision of myself riding off into the sunset with my dog, except not literally riding off into the sunset because I was attacked at sunset. And so I didn't like sunsets, but like, you know, that like happy mm, vision, mm. of like you're going off into the sunset. That was my vision for what was going to happen. Yeah. And, um, unfortunately my dog died in March, just a few months before the trial. So when she died, then all of a sudden, 
I was like, okay, now I actually can't, I, I can't leave again because I had the vision of my dog plus me riding off right. into the sunset. And I hadn't created a space yet for myself to be able to leave. At that point, I still felt so unsafe. I couldn't sleep overnight by myself in the house. Like sleeping overnight by myself with my dog was hugely challenging. And um, I was having to do that every weekend. And because my husband was going off with a friend and he just, we were not in a good space. So um, I had had to transform that. I had had to change from feeling rejected every weekend and afraid to feeling like, okay, I need to reframe this. So I reframe this as, all right, so he's training me in how to leave him. And now I need to train myself in how to leave him too. And so that's what I was doing with my dog, January, February, March of 2018 or January, February. And then my dog died in March, 2018. So then I had to train myself how to leave him without my dog. So, um, so when the trial happened, the trial was in May of 2018 and I had made arrangements to go to Norway uh, in June to visit friends and family there. And, um, uh, the trial actually, I would have come out okay of the trial. Probably. I, I would have come out okay enough. I could have still, I wouldn't necessarily have continued as a mediator, but I might have, but I could have continued in that profession. I could have continued in the middle of people's conflict. But um, the last day of trial, they had closing arguments and I went for the closing arguments. And uh, my attacker did not know that I was going to be there that day. And when I came, he had changed his appearance back to similar to the day that he had attacked me. So he was somebody I had known in um, 2010 and 2011. I actually had been a guardian ad litem representing the best interest of his children in court. And so I had uh, protected his children from him. I had made sure that his children did not have contact with him as a result of the abuse that they had suffered at his hands. The reason that he and his accomplice tried to kidnap me was in revenge for that. Wow. So the plan for me was not good. And I really believe that I would have been tortured and left for dead in the woods. I mean, the plan was to put me out on a zip line in the woods. But knowing this man, I was going to be tortured first. And I would have either died because he left me to die or I would have died because he accidentally killed me while torturing me. But nothing was going to have been good if he had succeeded in kidnapping me. Um, But he changed his appearance so that he could try to kidnap me. So he was somebody that I had known in 2010, 2011 to always have he had a mustache and he had his hair a certain way. And when he came to kidnap me, he had shaved off his mustache so that I wouldn't recognize him. And he uh, dressed up as an old man and pretended to be an old man. And so when I went to court and faced off against him, I literally faced off against him because he and his attorneys did not agree on how to proceed. So he was on attorneys six and seven. And... um, they didn't agree. So he was the one who did the cross-examination of me. We literally faced off against each other in the courtroom. And when I went back for closing arguments, he had changed his appearance. So when I had seen him in the courtroom facing off against me, he had gone back to having his mustache and he had his hair the similar length that I knew it. Um, But he had it back and he was wearing glasses 
which I really felt were a prop because of the way that he was using the glasses. Mm. And then when I went back um, for closing arguments, he had shaved off his mustache again. And he was very um, attentive is not the right word. He's a very obsessed with me. So he kept looking over at me and looking over at me and looking over at me during the closing argument. So he really thought he was getting out that day. And I was clear because he had changed his appearance that if he had gotten out that day, he would have been coming after me really quickly because the time that he had been in jail would not have been enough to make it um, a lesson that he should not come after me. Mm. So we, um, we had the closing arguments and the, and the arguments were made to the jury. And then um, I left and I went back and talked to the victim witness advocate who was there, like the person in between me and the prosecutor to make sure I was okay as the victim. And I um, needed an hour or two to compose myself to be able to drive. But honestly, after that, I was so good. I went back to work. I thought that we were okay because the taser cane that um, he had used to attack me had both my DNA on it and his DNA on it. I mean, they had good evidence, right? They had had my testimony. They had had his accomplice's testimony. She had said that the plan was to stuff me in the trunk of my car. So we had good things. I went back to work. Four o'clock is when the courts typically close. We had had closing arguments at 11-ish. And we had no, nothing from the jury. And so I contacted the victim witness advocate. And I knew when I had left it um, a little after one that the jury had had some questions and they had wanted to go to lunch. So I knew that had happened. But at that point, we were thinking that the jury thought they were really close because they hadn't asked for lunch, right? So they must have thought that our thought process was they must have thought that they were going to get a, a verdict really quickly and they were just going to work through lunch and then they'd all be able to go home. Hmm. But at four o'clock, that's different for the longer the jury is out, the law, like the more it means that you could have a hung jury or you could have somebody found not guilty. So at four o'clock, when I talked to the witness, victim witness advocate, then we talked about the fact that they had had these three questions and what the three questions were. And I said, okay, so if like, if, if we don't get him on the assault with a dangerous weapon and we don't get him on the attempted kidnapping, if all that we get him on is the is assault, what does that mean? Because I figured our worth that's my worst case scenario is mm -hmm. just get him for assault. Um, and she said, well, that would mean that he would get out today. And that is when I dropped into the same level of terror that I had had that night after he attacked me. And an hour later, she called me to let me know that he had been convicted on three counts out of four. But it was too late for my body to bounce back the way it had bounced back the first time. So that was what it took basically for my for my brain to say, ah, I don't want to be in people's conflict anymore. Wow, Meredith, that's just you know, hearing it when you were saying it to me like one-to-one, -one, I know we're recording, but we are talking one-to-one -one mm -hmm. over Zoom, you know, and I know you've been in talks with somebody about potentially, you know, a film and stuff like that, but it is like the stuff of of, of films. I've just been watching, a, binging a series on Netflix and, you know, weirdly in a set, you know, you're on a set in an American courtroom and you're talking about what happened and it's it's just unbelievable. It is. And so terrifying. I, I just, you know, this is obviously something that, you know, for our listeners, I hope nobody ever goes through this in their lifetime. Like, you know, being kidnapped is such a, you know, a rare and, you know, um, unlikely thing to happen. How did you, 
so you know once you once your body has said right you can't be you can't be that mediator anymore because you can't be involved in conflict like but then how did you pick yourself up how did you get Meredith kind of you know in your body in your mind and connect those and kind of start to I don't know process it and then move on or, or move Right. I think honestly, um, I've always had that part. So I was raised to be a rescuer, right? I was raised to be a superhero. So that part of me, how do I pick myself up? That's just a given that's going to happen. Um, the hard part for me is more tending to all of that. Right. So how did I go and do mediation, you know, the day after this, Mm. well, that's what I had scheduled. So that's what happened. Right. I mean, I did the mediations. I did it with muscle memory. Um, I did it because I knew how to do it because I'd already done over a thousand at that point. So I, you know, I knew how to do it, but I also had to exercise more self-care than I had ever had to do for it. So if I had one mediation, I had to meditate afterwards for five or 10 minutes to just sort of get my head clear again. If I had two mediations back to back, I had to have a nap afterwards. And if I had three mediations, I was done for the day. I could not do more than three mediations. That was it. I just had to go home and do nothing. Um, And in terms of going to Norway, because basically I I had always been somebody who was independent and would go and do things that I wanted to do. And travel was a big thing for me that I always enjoyed doing. So if my, uh, if my then husband wouldn't go with me, then I would go by myself after the attack though, I didn't feel safe. Right. So I couldn't travel without him and even traveling with him felt unsafe because I had scheduled, um, at the time of the attack, I, I had plans to, I was uh, looking to live in both Maine and in new Orleans. Um, and I was going to set up a, like a winter business down there and a summer business in Maine and be in both places. Because again, my ex, he wouldn't do, he wouldn't do the living somewhere else thing that I wanted to do. Um, so I had set up a, a time to go down to New Orleans and network and, I could not go down to New Orleans on my own after the attack. So I went, but I was like, yeah, I'm buying you a ticket. You have to come with me. But I couldn't actually get myself to network. I went down there, but I like, we just were together in New Orleans. I didn't feel safe if I wasn't with him. So I wanted to be able to still be that person who could travel. And so it was something that I grew over time. I did it like one step at a time to make it happen um, because it was something that I really wanted to have happen. And so, you know, going to Norway, I couldn't have gone to Norway if I hadn't built in the other steps, right? So first it had to be um, going with him to going with him to New Orleans, right? And having somebody else with me. And then um, it took about a year before I was able to go and stay in a hotel by myself overnight. To even make myself do that was a huge thing. And it was, you know, a hotel like an hour and a half from home. So if worse came to worse, I could drive home, except I didn't like driving at night. So it was going to be like, which do you like least? Are you willing to stay within these four walls, right? Or are you willing to drive in the dark? Because both of those you hate. (laughs) So, which, which, so, but that's how it started was, okay, do that, right? Or it was, I guess it even started with small day trips, right? Getting myself to go from my comfort zone. It honestly started with even getting myself to go out, to go outside after the attack. I mean, the, the attack happened because he was disguised. I didn't know who he was. And because he had waited, you know, uh, four years to get me, I didn't know. I, that this was not something that I had expected was going to be happening at this time. Um, so all of it was built in pieces so that then finally I could go 
to Norway. So I went to Norway. And when I went to Norway, then it was just amazing when I went back to this farm because I had farmed on this farm in my early 20s. And I felt like I was coming home. And I felt like I was coming home to me before the attack. And they had a place available for rent um, just a few months later. So it was like all the stars aligned, right? I knew I wanted to find a place to go that would feel like um, that where I would feel safe. I knew that I had built things up to make that happen. I knew I had built myself up to make that happen more even than the things. But I didn't know where to go. If I could have driven off into the sunset, right? The day after the trial, I would have done it. If I could have driven off into the sunset that night when I thought that he was going to get free, I would have done it then. I just didn't know where to go that was safe. So the following month, I went to Norway. I found the place to go that was safe. And they had a place available for rent in just a few months. So I came back to the U.S. I got ready for a divorce. I basically, I called my, my then husband from Norway. and was like, yeah, we're getting a divorce. <laughs> and it wasn't, I mean, it was a surprise and it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It, it, wasn't as if, yeah. It, it wasn't as if his behavior had changed. Right. Okay. Yeah. But I think that at the same time, there was still that part of him that thought, well, she's not leaving because she's become this fearful person. Right. So I can get away with bad behavior because she's this fearful person. Well, no, no, I, I was leaving. Mm. So I came back and I wound up my business. I um, created an unpaid sabbatical for myself, basically. So I was working in the court system as a mediator and doing private practice mediation. So I stopped taking you know, private practice clients that weren't going to finish by the time I needed to finish. I stopped taking um, court court clients that weren't going to finish by that time. I wound everything up and tied it up in a nice bow. By the end of August, I um, had a big yard sale or you guys do a, what do you do? A boot sale? Probably so, sold, so yeah. 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 Sold off a bunch of personal property that, you know, we decided what was his, what was mine. Mine went out on the lawn. The stuff that couldn't be sold um, then went into a storage locker and I went off to Norway to, to figure out, okay, what am I going to do next? Such a brilliant, you know, not obviously not what happened to you, but you're kind of, I don't want to say resurrection, but you're kind of coming out of that is amazing. So when you were in Norway, then what did you decide? So obviously you've gone there to, you know, be in an environment where you were feeling safe, you know, safe mm-hmm. personally. So what what happened then? How did you work out what it was you wanted to do? Because, you know, you're there and that's great. But then kind of what are you going to do with your life? You need to work, right? You need to earn money. and Right. Well, and so that was the challenge. And I had given myself that time to not work and to not earn money, right? So um, I was there to heal. And I would say... Um, one of the one of the other things that Norway gave me besides the besides so much, right? Because it gave me this safe community and it gave me um a loving community as well, which is what I had needed. I needed um people that loved me for me. Um it also gave me back nature because because the plan had been to put me on a zip line out in the woods, I wasn't a big fan of woods anymore. And I had always been somebody who went to nature as a way to heal and to de-stress. And so I wasn't able to access that anymore. The only way that I could access it, I would access it on the water. So I had a kayak and I had a, um, a paddle board. And so I would go out paddle boarding. And that was a way for me to access nature and still feel safe because um, I wasn't easily accessible with other mm. people. But in Norway, I could go hiking by myself and feel completely safe because it was Norway. And that was just that was just how it was there. So it gave me back that ability to do that. I 
when I was there, I basically cleared the decks to write a memoir. And I knew that my own personal stuff would come up as a result, right? um, So I brought a book with me on how to overcome procrastination and um, mind blocks, writer's blocks. Because it's like, look, you know, you've wanted to write a book for a long time. You know that a book about what happened to you would be a really good story. And you're going to be the only reason that you can't write the book now. Like you can't blame it on your job. You can't blame it on all your volunteer activities. You can't blame it on any of that because I have wiped away all of that. (laughs) You have nothing. The only thing that's going to stop you is you. So how did that I, feel then when you, when you suddenly got, cause that's really interesting, isn't it? Because often we don't do things because of this and that and we put barriers in and blocks and tell ourselves we can't do it. So when you've taken that all away. Yeah. Then I did it. Brilliant. And it, sometimes it felt terrible and horrible, Laura. I mean, let's be honest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because you're opening up. So right. much. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was doing things to basically I was doing things to actively heal myself, but I was also doing things to actively push myself every day. So I went to Norway with my yoga mat because I knew that I was going to need um, yoga pretty much every day because for me, it was functioning as a moving meditation. At that point, I couldn't just sit and meditate. It was too recent after the like the latest traumatic event. So yoga worked for me as a moving meditation. Um, And I went hiking almost every day. And so that tended to the anxiety because I had always been a doer. I had always been somebody who had a job. I had started working at age 10 in my parents' grocery store. So for me to take these three months and just be like, no, no more job, no more anything, no more responsibility for other people, the only person I'm responsible for, for my, is myself was a game changer. It was something that was, um, absolutely unheard of in terms of how I was supposed to interact in the world. And, um, what I learned when I was, when I did it for the three months was one that yes, I could write the memoir and it could be a really good story. Uh, two, I needed more time to heal. I wasn't ready to go and work in a, an office environment or I wasn't ready. I wasn't going to be going back to being a mediator anymore. I was, yeah. when I had said, I'm done with this, I was really done. This was not something that I was going to be changing my mind on. This wasn't something that I was going to just miraculously be okay with going back into people's conflict again. That part of my life was over. And I still had to figure out what to do next. So I had a friend in Australia who said, well, come stay with me. So I went down to Australia and stayed with her for a couple months. And when I was, uh, I had stayed in Norway basically also to see whether I wanted to live in Norway, because as you and I have talked about, I'm not a huge fan of snow. And I had thought that I was going to be going somewhere warm. That was my thing was I was not going to be doing snow anymore. Right. So even when I had been with my, um, with my then husband, my plan had been, okay, if, if I can't move somewhere warm, I can at least move somewhere warm half the year. So I'll live in new Orleans half the year without you. I'll live in Maine half the year with you. And then I don't have to shovel. Mm. (laughs) So living in Norway full time, I thought, oh, that sounds like a lot of snow. And I'm just not sure that's what I want. I, you know, I like the whole loving community piece. I like the nature piece, but I don't know that I want that piece. Um, But when I was there, then I was like, okay, I, but I do want this. I really want to live here. So when I went and I went to Australia, which is very warm, and that was not where I wanted to be at all. I wanted to be back in Norway and I wanted to be in very small community, not in a large city. So I studied Norwegian online super intensively. And I um, 
I decided to go back to Norway to study Norwegian at a super intensive level and to see if I could get a job in Norway when I was there. And meanwhile, I was also going to be promoting the book to agents to see if I could get an agent to pick it up. So I did that. And what I found was I still wasn't ready to go out and do that next step of I could not get myself to actually go out and network. So I could get myself to go to classes and study Norwegian, but that was just asking too much of myself to go and network. So I was promoting the book to agents. I thought I had an agent, but it didn't turn out. But I thought at that point I had an agent. I had another one that was sort of interested. So I thought, okay, I need some more time. What am I going to do to buy some time and and decrease my expenses? And I have to leave Norway because I'm only here for 90 days because of the treaties. So I um, looked up international pet sitting to see if I could do that. And there were a couple sites available for that. And I found that I could do international pet sitting for six months in the United Kingdom it doesn't, it's a separate treaty. So it doesn't count against time in Norway and it doesn't meet, then I didn't go back to the US. So I set up six months of international pet sitting for myself in the UK, figuring that that would give me enough time to then um, get an agent and get things moving on the book and I could be starting the next book. And so I went to the UK, I started writing the next book. Things didn't come through in terms of an agent. So then I thought, okay, well now what am I going to (laughs) do? Because now I have international pet sitting, but I still don't have money coming in. I have mm. just you know a trade-off. So then I took a course on doing online courses and thought, okay, I could do an online course in terms of um, my work that I had done as a mediator. So I reached out to my Facebook community to say, what do you want from me for an online course? And these were people that have watched me, you know, take my mediation practice and say, I'm all done. I'm moving to Norway. I'm doing. And they said, we want to know how to be like you. And I wasn't what I was expecting at all. (laughs) My life's a mess. (laughs) I don't know why you want to be like me right now. But again, you know, after a couple months, I was like, okay, I can step into that. I can. I can do that. I can show you how to be like me. Like that's all about being empowered. So it made sense in terms of this being a women's empowerment coach, right? If I look at my life in terms of what I was doing as a mediator and what I do now and what I do for myself, I'm strengths-based. I'm solution-focused. I'm figuring out how to move forward, right? I'm figuring out how to move strategically and get things done. I figure out how to get out of my own way. I figure out how to get you out of your way. I figure out if there's an obstacle, we're either going to go around it or over it or through it, but we're going to figure out some way to get you from point A to point B. Yeah. And I'm really good at that. So that's what I do. Amazing. Such a great story. And like you say, what you've ended up doing is the kind of the sum of all of those parts together and all of that experience and how you've brought it in, just absolutely fascinating. Amazing. So what's life like for you right now then? Where are you in the world right now? Oh, so good question. So (laughs) my life right now, honestly, is pretty wonderful. I am in Oregon. It is not where I had intended to be. COVID um, completely blew up my long-term plans, just as it did for many people. So I had thought that at the end of 2020, I would be living in, um, I was looking to set up a snowbird situation again in Greece and Norway. So I wanted to be in Greece in the winter and in Norway in the summer. And instead, because of COVID, I ended up grounded in the US from um, March on. And I was in Tucson. Um, when I found out that I wouldn't be able to do, I was supposed to be pet sitting in Tucson in April, May, that wasn't going to happen. And I wouldn't be going to Norway for the summer of 2020. And I wouldn't be going to the UK for the fall. Um, but I had 
an old friend that I hadn't seen in 20 years who lived on the Oregon coast. And she said, come here, you'd love it. And so in May of last year, I did come here and I did love it. And it is a lot like um, Norway and and the UK in terms of weather and um, and the Greek island of Samos in the wintertime. And that I, I have the ocean right here. So I'm about a block and a half away from a beach that's seven miles long. I have the mountains right here. So I'm about three quarters of a mile from the logging trail where I can go and hike up into the mountains for hours. I don't have snow here, which is fabulous. The, it only changes by about 20 degrees between summertime and wintertime. So summertime is a little cooler than other places. Wintertime is a little warmer than other places. So we don't have snow. Um, we do have more rain than I might like, but it's okay because it's really beautiful. And Sounds so I'm out. amazing. Yeah, I'm out in nature pretty much every day. Summertime, it's almost always great sleeping weather because it drops down lower at night and then it's warmer in the daytime. Um, but yeah, the temperature varies by about 20 degrees over the course of the whole year. So right now it's springtime here and that's lovely. So we've got the daffodils coming up just like you do in the UK right now. And um, if I were back in Maine, we wouldn't be looking at daffodils for another month. We'd still be shoveling. I so am done with shoveling. Yeah, <laughs> and I met this really awesome man here. So I, um, I tried online dating because when I came here, I, I loved it. So I rented a little house for six months with an option to keep going month to month after that. But I thought at that point, as I think we all did, well, I'll give it until December and maybe I can see my family for the holidays, right? And so I thought, I'll try online dating. I'm here for six months, right? This will be something to try. And that was a huge step for me because when I had been attacked, I'd been like, well, thank God I'm married because I would never go on a date again. Yeah. Um, and so... I had um, two dates, basically. I had one date. My first date was terrible. And he was already, I knew, I already had suspicions he was going to be terrible, but he was pushy enough that he managed to get a date anyway. And the date just <laughs> confirmed all that I suspected about him. That was bad. Oh, oh the joy of online dating. Yes. And so I went back and I rewrote my profile because I was like, I am still sending out rescuer signals and I do not want that. I just cannot be bothered. And my next date was with my boyfriend, Tim, and we had just an awesome, awesome date. Like we met for coffee. He came here and we spent nine hours together and it was July 4th. And so like we ended up the date with watching the fireworks on the beach for two and a half hours. And then he drove home and he was just awesome. And we've had an awesome relationship ever since. I mean, he's just a really, really wonderful guy and I'm super grateful for him. So I would have told you my life was fine. I did not expect to have anybody in it. And I was living that life just fine having him in it is really wonderful too. Just such a great story. Amazing. What a perfect first date. July the 4th fireworks. Amazing. So before we finish Meredith, if I ask you then, what's your next dream? What's next in your, in, in your kind of plans in your life? So I would say because of COVID, right? it makes it a little more challenging in terms of the dreams that we're having because I end up building dreams without attachment, if you know what I mean. So um, I have dreams and then I have also, I guess I have like short-term dreams and long-term dreams. So I have things that I want to have come true, but I also, I, I enjoy the process of making the dreams happen. 
And I acknowledge the fact that my life already is pretty dreamlike. Yeah. Um, so the, I guess, next stage growth is I'm putting together a program for women that you and I had talked about called Bliss. And that is going to be a 30-day program that really helps women to create their best lives right here and now. And I'm going to give them a full menu to pick from to create their best lives right in the moment. And then they'll be able to um, opt in to work with me too with my program, Do It Easily, that you and I had talked about, which is about if you're looking to make a change in your life, how do you make that change strategically? How do you move forward? How do you, as I did, right? Either go around the obstacles, go over the obstacles, or go through the obstacles that you get yourself to where you want to get to. So I'm going to be offering both of those together um, at the end of this month for people to start next month and then uh, work with me for 90 days. I also have in the works a um, a relationships program that I'm putting together. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be a self-study and getting some individual coaching from me right. simply because it would be hard to jump into a group and talk about relationships. I've found that really? um, people want to share it more with me on a one-on-one basis than they do in terms of than they do in terms of a group coaching because they don't know who the group is going to be. Yeah. But at the same time, um, it gives, I have, I have found that a lot of the, what gets in people's way can be the relationships they have. So if somebody was interested, a listener was interested in finding out a bit more about you, perhaps joining your group or signing up to one of your programs, where would, where could they find you? So they should come to my website, MeredithLRichardson.com. They can jump on to my email list there so that then they would get access immediately as soon as they, as soon as the program was launching. They can also join my Facebook group, uh, Midlife, where the queen saves herself. Or they can look me up on Facebook or on Instagram as Meredith, the Midlife Coach. Amazing. Meredith, thank you so much for your time today. I, um, it's uh, such a, a difficult story at times, but an inspirational one in the sense that you, you know, what you have managed to do after such a terrible thing and how you've kind of um, rebuilt, reclaimed you and uh, made yourself feel safe again. So thank you so much for your honesty and for sharing uh, that story with us. And uh, well, I'm sure that the listeners will get as much from it as I did. So thank you very much. Thank you too. Have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Your Dream or Mind podcast with Laura Cruz. Don't forget to come and find me on social media to see if I can help you to pursue your own dreams. See you next time, my fellow dreamer.